I'm not sure about you, but I am thankful for my Father, my Heavenly Father. Amen. Can you raise a hallelujah? So to all my fathers out there, happy Father's Day. Welcome. Thank you for sharing it with us at Promise of Victory. There is an epidemic going on in our society. There's a fatherless generation being raised up. And so in the African-American community, it's 73% now. After all these years, 73% are being raised by single parents, single mothers. And so we thank God for those of you that didn't just sire a child, but you've made an investment in their life and in their future. We, we honor true fathers today. Amen. There's also something else going to happen today. This is June the 20th. It's West Virginia's birthday. Uh, well, that's not a big deal. But the governor has said that today was the day that they would lift all restrictions and we no longer have to... Yeah. That's why June 20th means something because today... We're going to start once again receiving our offerings during worship time. Uh-huh. Now I'm going to give the ushers some time to get ready because they are out of practice. They're out of shape, they're out of practice, they're out of all that. So uh, I want to make a couple of announcements while they get ready. So July 4th, we're going to have a picnic here at the church yes yeah go ahead oh they already started passing the buckets they jumped the gun on me Glenn had one job welcome to my world there's a picnic July 4th up at the shelter isn't it wonderful that I get to say at our shelter on our playground so we're going to have a picnic following morning service. Uh, July 18th. I'm only going to make this announcement one time. Look here. Look, look, look. Hey, woo! We make these announcements. Y'all say, I didn't know anything about it. It's because you don't listen. July 18th, we're going to start having something we call Super Sundays. We're going to do it once a quarter. If those of you that are missing what we used to have like on Sunday nights, we're going to have Sunday morning. Bishop Dan Hampton's going to come to look at this wonderful complex that God has blessed us with. That night, we're going to have 630. That night, we're going to have Jeff Wolf here, and we're going to have Old Time Church. We're going to do that once a quarter. So we're going to have what we call Super Sundays. We're going to do that once a quarter. In November, I've got somebody else coming named Joel Talley, and he'll be here for two days for our Super Sunday. On the back of your seat, you'll see QR codes. If you are new here, do us a favor, scan that with your camera on your phone and enter your information because that's how we're going to keep track of you and that's how we're going to keep up with you. And if you're interested in being part of the ministry here at Promise of Victory, uh, indicate that when you put your information in. We're going to get you in our expand class and we're going to find a place for you to serve right here because that's what we're about. In this new season, we're trying to get everybody plugged in. We're trying to get everybody involved. We want to be a family. 
that we're, we're, we're past the time where everybody can come in and meet the pastor and be, be friends with him. and all, that we, We've outgrown that, but you know what? We still grow in small groups. And so we're going to start promoting those, and you're going to get involved in ministries, and you can come to small groups. Speaking of small groups, there's, uh, there's life groups that we're going to uh, be, be beginning. July 10th, Sister Alicia has probably already handed out something down on the Panhandle Trail. She's going to start something called a walking group. I don't know anything about that. Uh, but where you go out and walk and, and do things like called exercise. I'm not sure what that's about, but you can see her for details. And then on August the 5th at 6 o'clock, up at our playground at the pavilion, Sister Deidre's going to start a group called The Playlist, where you can come together and share your songs and, you, and get, uh, and get uh, interested in other kinds of music. They're going to share what they're interested in. You'll show, share what you're interested in. You say, I'm not a music fan. Maybe you should come, and they'll teach you the reason you ain't a music fan because you've been listening to the wrong kind of music. So, uh, so, so keep those dates in mind. So we're going to take up live offering, which I think the guys already did that and the gals already did that. But we're, we're taking it up live. We still have the, if you don't want to touch the buckets, I understand. Uh, we still have the offering uh, dispensers in the back of the room. We also have the app. We're also giving online. There's no excuse for not being able to give. We've got a plethora of ways for you to give. We're making it as easy for you as possible to give and, and putting it out there. So God bless you. As you give, we've got an announcement video before the message this morning. You may be seated. Good morning, Promise of Victory. We are so excited you are here with us today. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, we are happy to be sharing this time with you. We would love nothing more than to stay connected with you. We are always stronger when we're together. We have Facebook, YouTube, and an app. If you don't have our app, take a quick second after church and download it. We have a link to the app on our website at povcog.com. You can also open your camera and scan our QR code in the hallway for a direct link as well. We have something for everyone here on Sundays. We have our Victory Tots in the nursery for our toddlers, Explosion Kids for our children ages 5 and up. We have Aftershock students for ages 13 and up, which are dismissed after worship is over. And we have our Mother's Lounge. If you want further information about what we offer or you need directions, just find any of our ushers and they'd be happy to help. We have two kiosk stations. One is for our Victory Tots and one is for Explosion Kids. We are asking that parents and guardians physically sign all their children in with a member of the team before service and then sign them out after service as well. If you look at the back of the chair in front of you, you'll notice a QR code. All you have to do is open the camera on your phone Point it at the QR code and then click the link that appears at the top of your screen. If you are new, we would love it if you scanned this code and then answered a few questions so we can better serve you. This is also for anyone who has not been added to our church registry. And lastly, this is for those who would like to get involved here at Promise of Victory because saved people serve people. Thank you so much for coming today. We hope that today God pours love, life, and peace into you and your family. If you come once or a thousand times, you are family. Whether in person or online, thank you for joining us in worship at Promise of Victory, Church of God. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. So I'm going to do something before I start the message this morning. I'm going to ask the, uh, the ushers to grab, out some, uh, grab these gifts that we have. And I'm going to ask every father, if you would, 
to just stand right where you are. You don't have to come up or anything. The ushers are going to come to you. We just have a gift of appreciation. Yeah, go ahead. Let's give them a... Yes, absolutely. We honor our fathers this morning. I bought something that I would like to have. So uh, that's the benefit of uh, getting to choose the gifts. You can pick out something that you'd like, and this is something I would like. Uh, it's a multi-tool. Those of you that uh, already have one, this one might be better than the one you got. It's better than the one I have. So uh, thank you for being here. All of our fathers, we honor you today. May the Lord bless you. Amen, amen. Thank you for sharing your Father's Day with us. Some of you uh, have been with us throughout this message series, and you know that it's coming to an end. This is the second to last in this series that I have been preaching called I'm Better Than This. That whatever version of you is sitting in this room this morning, standing in this room this morning, or watching by live stream, you're better than the version that you currently represent. You can do some things better than you're currently doing them. We've been exploring through this series different areas that we can improve in. And last week, this week, and next week, I have given them a secondary title called Heart Trouble. We're dealing with issues of the heart. Next week, we're going to talk about depression. Last week, we talked about anxiety. This morning, I wanted to, I've been planning this message for a long time because I wanted to tie it in with Father's Day. We're going to talk about Daddy David this morning. We'll eventually get there, but I'm going to begin in Psalm 119. It's always awkward when you start talking about books of the Bible and you're talking about three digits because Psalms is the only one that's got that many. Psalm 119 is where I'm going to begin preaching this morning. Let me start by saying that the church is the educational wing of God's kingdom. Now, the church is not a school, but I believe that we do have educational responsibilities. We're supposed to instruct you. The church is where you're going to receive instruction on kingdom living. And I think that happens two ways. Before I start my message, if you'll catch these two things, it's going to help you understand why I preached this message this morning. I think we give you kingdom living principles to do two things. One is to change your mind and the other is to change your heart that's what the church is instructed to do is to give you the kind of information that helps you change the condition of your heart by first changing the way that you think and my prayer every week please understand I never take this pulpit ever and mail it in when I take this desk, I have asked God every week that before you leave this room, you will experience change. Because why else would you come? You could be doing a million other things on a sunshiny Sunday uh, in June. You could be doing all kinds of things besides coming to church. I want you to experience change. Before I preach a message, this message has changed me. Our series is coming to an end, but our change should continue. And one thing I've learned as I've gotten older, 
Real lasting change only happens after my heart is set on change. You can institute all the programs and plans that they have out in the world, but if the mind and the heart don't engage, if you do not determine in your heart to change, it is not going to last. You can modify your, your behaviors for a season. You can eat right for a little while. You can stop getting angry for a little while. You can modify your behaviors for a season. But if you do not fundamentally change your beliefs, you really won't change anything. You have to have lifelong change. Are you ready for me to dive into this? I have a long way to go, but a short time to get there. It is this premise we find in Psalm 119, beginning with verse 112. It's a long way down. Here's what the psalmist says. I have inclined my heart. Stop right there. That word inclined means I have adjusted or I have aimed my heart or I have fixed my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform that, that, that word, your, if you have a, a Bible that has lowercase uh, words and, and letters, you'll see your is capitalized because it's talking about God. I'm going to do your statutes, your rules, your commandments. I have fixed my heart. I have aimed my heart to do what makes you happy. That's what he's saying here. And how long do I want to do it? Forever until the very end. Forever to the very end. He says, I want to make a heart change, but not just as a New Year's resolution. I want this change to last, and I want it to last forever. What this does is reiterates what I've been telling you, that real lasting change doesn't happen because you modify some of your behaviors. It happens because you change your heart. He says, I have inclined, I have fixed, I have adjusted, I changed. I didn't just take on church habits, I changed. When Jesus saved me, he didn't just tell me I had to show up on Sundays and, and pray before I eat my dinner and read my Bible. He changed me. I went down one person, but when I stood up at that altar, I was changed on the inside. I inclined my heart. I adjusted myself. That's what I'm going to talk to you about today. You need an adjustment. I'm not talking about from a chiropractor. Maybe some of you need that too. But you need an adjustment. Look at your neighbor and say, get adjusted. Would you do that? Get adjusted. Some of you need an attitude adjustment. Some of you need a personality lobotomy. Some of us need our tempers adjusted. Some of us needs our patience adjusted. Some of us needs to get adjusted clean out of anxiety and depression. Some of us got a complaining spirit. We need to get adjusted. Y'all not going to help me preach this morning. So we, we need a, an adjustment. He said, I'm not happy with the way I am. I need to adjust myself on your commands, and I want that change to last. I don't want to lose 20 pounds in the first month of the year and then gain it all back. 
I don't want to make somebody make me uh, feel good around me because I've changed my ways. And then three months down the road, I'm back to being the same old uh, uh, fussy. Never mind. This is an interesting choice of words. It indicates that our heart is not naturally fixed toward God. That's what he's telling us. So we, we have to act on that. We have to orient ourselves in a new direction. That means you've got to make a decision and you've got to follow it up with some action. Did you know that despite what Hallmark says, you are in control of your heart? I only got two amens. I'm going to say it again because y'all don't believe me. You are in control of your heart. Quit saying folks are breaking your heart because they don't break it if you don't give it away. You are in control of your heart. Look at what the psalmist said in verse 113. He says, I hate... What's that word doing in the Bible? What's that word doing in the Bible? I thought we were supposed to love everything. He said, I hate the double-minded. That's not a group of people. That's a, that's a condition of the heart. He's not saying I hate everybody that is double-minded. He says, I hate the double-minded that's in me. But I love your law. He said, I hate that I was going this way, and I ended up going this way. I hate that I was up when I woke up this morning, but one phone call. He, he said, I hate the double-minded. He said, I hate that I start out with prayer and worship, and it's going to be a great day, and by the time I get to work, I'm ready to kill some folks. Y'all ain't going to help me. He said, I, I hate that I have decided that I'm going to start getting along with my wife, I'm going to get along with my husband, that I'm going to eat right, that I'm going to exercise every day, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray at the same time. I hate that I have decided to do a thing, and then I end up doing exactly what he said. I hate that. Does anybody else know what it feels like, or am I alone in this room, to know what it feels like to hate that? He said, I hate that. He said, I hate that I'm going one way and I end up this way. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. He said, I hate this, but I love that. I hate the condition of my heart that flips and flops back and forth. It's up, then it's down. It's hot and it's cold. I'm heading one way and then I end up in a... I hate that. I hate that. Does anybody in this room hate that feeling? Listen to what James says about it. James chapter uh, 1 and verse 8 says that a double-minded man... It's not just drunks that are unstable. It's other folks too. People that are double-minded. He said, I hate the double-minded. Why do you hate it? Because it makes you unstable. And look what it says. Not just some of your ways, not most of your ways. You are unstable everywhere if you're, uh, you're double-minded. You can't just be double-minded in your job and be okay in your relationship. You cannot be unstable with your diet plan but be okay financially. Because if you're unstable and double-minded, you're that way across the board. That's the danger that we have when we do not fix our mind on what we love we fix our mind on what do you say i love your 
law. I hate the double-minded. I hate it. What I want to show you is that hate, in my opinion and in my life, has been a more motivating tool than love ever could be. Oh, you're not look, you're not going to help me? Let me explain what I mean. If there was anybody that ever understood being double-minded, it was King David. When most of you think about David, that's who you think about. You think about the guy who killed Goliath. He's the king. He killed all the Philistines. He killed lions and bears with his bare hands. That's David in 1 Samuel. The David that I want to preach on this morning is Daddy David. Daddy David is 2 Samuel David. This is the David who is in a totally different place than he used to be. He's the same person, but he's not in the same location. This David, Daddy David, has been through some stuff. This David has lost the confidence he had. When he walked down into that valley to face the giant, he said, is there not a cause? And he grabbed his sling and he grabbed five smooth stones and he marched down into that valley when everybody else was hiding in the bushes. This is not that David. This David, old man Daddy David, has lost his confidence. He has been betrayed. He has been lied on. He has been attacked. This David has been shaken to his core. He's overwhelmed. He is tired. His heart is hurt. And he has isolated himself because it is hard to trust people when people are the source of your pain. David had been through a lot. Some of it was his own making. That thing with Bathsheba, that's on him. But much of what David has been through is because of other folks. Saul got jealous of David and tried to kill him. All over a jealous spirit. David was a blessing to Saul, and Saul tried to kill his blessing over jealousy. Another sermon for another time. But in this story that I'm about to preach on, David has a son who is jealous too. David's son, Absalom, has become non-compliant. Let me just spell it out the way it is. You're supposed to honor your father. That's what Father's Day is all about. And that is hard for the best of us to do correctly. But Absalom, Absalom took this thing of dishonor and disrespect to a whole other level took one of David's wives right in front of everybody. I mean, dishonored and disrespected his father in every imaginable way. Why? Because he was jealous of David and he wanted what David had. So the reason I bring this to your attention this morning, we're going to pick this story up in 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 33. But I must tell you in advance, by the time I pick this story up, Absalom has been killed. Absalom died on the battlefield. David's captain of his army named Joab killed Absalom. And news just got back to the camp. David just found out that his son was dead. And in verse 33, the Bible says, The king was shook. I know it says shaken, but think about it. Have you ever had some, all of a sudden you and I can feel this scripture, right? Have you ever got one text that just shook you? 
Have you ever just received one phone call that just, just shook you? It's interesting how in just a few words we get connected to this text. You get, you get a text, you get a call, somebody said something to you, you get information that you were not expecting, and you get shook. And the king is shook. He went up to the room over the gateway, over the gateway, and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, my son, oh, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son. Now, if you jump over to chapter 19, verse 1, here comes Joab. Joab is the one who killed Absalom. He is David's friend. I'll show you in a minute how I know he's his real friend. But that, I, hold on to that thought. We know Joab is a real friend, but here he's acting as the captain of the army, and he tells David, or he goes out and he tells the people, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. Stop right there. That is a total, natural thing to happen. Somebody say amen. You lose a son, mourning is a natural thing to happen. But the premise that I'm about to show you about being double-minded is something that I want to apply to your life, not necessarily because he lost his son. He's doing a normal thing. However, verse 2 says, And for the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning. David was mourning, but because he's the king, his mourning is turning everybody's victory into mourning. This is the exact opposite of what God does. God takes our mourning and turns them into victories. He takes our, our sorrows and turns them into joys. Because on that day, the troops had heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. Verse 3, the men stole into the city that day as men steal in who are ashamed. They had just won a battle and they're creeping in like, they, like people that, that stole something, that are ashamed of something. When they flee from battle, they're not acting in a celebratory manner. Verse 4 says, The king covered his face and cried aloud, Oh, Absalom, or my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So here stands David and he's being double-minded. Let me help you. He's not able to celebrate what he won because all he can think about is what he lost. I'm not going to preach long past this. I, I need that to sink in because people under the sound of my voice right now, this is your problem. This is your heart trouble. You have not effectively celebrated the right things because of all the things that you have mourned that you lost. His focus was so fixed on his pain. His heart was not inclined to God. His heart was inclined on what he lost. And it was so fixed on his pain, on his problem, that he could not celebrate what God had just done in his life. Now do you see why you have to set your heart? And here is the biggest reason to hate the double-minded. David was so focused on what he lost already, he was in danger of losing what he still had. No, no, I got to preach. 
because we've got a group of people under the sound of my voice that are looking at me like I got lobsters crawling out of my ears. I'm going to show you in the scripture that David was in trouble because he was about to lose what he still had. See, some of you went through it and you feel like you lost so much, but you don't realize when you came through it, you brought some stuff with you too. And the danger we have is that we reminisce too often. When we fix our heart on what was, we totally miss the potential of what could be. And might I preach for a moment and tell you that what you are remembering probably ain't that great anyway. Because I know folks, and I know myself, and I know we are guilty for romanticizing the past. David is weeping over the loss of his son, which is a very valid thing to do. However, that relationship wasn't great. Absalom was trying to kill David. And now that Absalom is dead, David is missing the celebration of what he still has from grieving what he lost, even though what he lost was trying to kill him. <laughs> even though what he's, he's mourning the loss of something that was trying to destroy him. And it's funny because when we look back, we often only choose to see the great things, the positive things. But when you look at what you have, you want to associate it with all the negative stuff. When you look at your husband, you don't pick out the good stuff. You only pick out his flaws. But when you look back on Bill, who you got rid of to get Tom, you think, oh, Bill was great. If Bill was so great, why'd you get rid of him back in the... Y'all ain't going to help me. We've got too many people who romanticize what we used to have and bring negative connotation into the right now, and if you're not careful, you'll lose what you still got by mourning over what you lost. We're blind to the struggle, and we choose to only look at the highlight reel when we look back. I'm gonna, I, I've got a little thing I'm going to share on the screen for you to illustrate what I mean today. Kristen, if you could throw that up for me. Today was the absolute worst day ever. And don't try to convince me that there's something good in every day. Because when you take a closer look, this world is a pretty evil place. Even if some goodness does shine through once in a while, satisfaction and happiness don't last. And it's not true that it's all in the mind and heart because true happiness could be obtained only if one's surroundings are good. It's not true that good exists. I'm sure you can agree that the reality creates my attitude. It's all beyond my control. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that today was good. Now we're going to do one thing. We're going to flip it upside down and read it from the bottom to the top. Today was a good day. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that it's all beyond my control. 
My attitude creates the reality. I'm sure you can agree that it's not true that good exists only if one's surroundings are good. True happiness can be obtained because it's all in the mind and the heart. And not true that satisfaction and happiness don't last. Some goodness does shine through once in a while, even if this world is a pretty evil place. Because when you take a closer look, there's something good in every day. And don't try to convince me that today was the absolute worst day ever. Perspective changes everything. Those were the exact same words, but read from a different viewpoint with different expectations and got different results. Why do you think two people can hear the exact same newscast? One person says, the president's an idiot, and the next person says he's brilliant. They heard the same information. They looked at it from two different perspectives. They got two different expectations and because of that they end up with different results it helps to explain that why you and your neighbor can both love Jesus but not vote the same way you can both love Jesus and not like everything about one another because I love Jesus don't 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 want to hang out with all of his kids it's about how you see more than what you see you can't help what you see but you can sit you can determine how you see everything it's a heart problem some of you may have seen this picture before you got that picture of that airplane for me that you can throw up on the screen some of you may have seen this picture before now don't study it. You're not, there's no math it's not connect the dots some of you are going uh, this is, a, this is something that happened in World War II. Let me just give you a little history lesson. It was a well-determined fact that whoever won the battle of the air in World War II was probably going to win the war. So the entire time that they were in battle, there were scientists that were trying to figure out a way to make planes safer. So they took a bunch of planes that had went out on missions and came back and had bullet holes from anti-aircraft anti uh, weaponry. They had bullet holes when they landed. They went out and took diagrams of where all the bullet holes were, and then they laid them over top of one another, and they came up with this diagram. And as you can see, there are areas of the plane that never sustain damage. The scientists knew they could not armor an entire plane like a tank or the plane couldn't fly so they were trying to make it as safe as possible for the pilots to get up fly their missions and get back so they decided that they would figure out where all the bullet holes were and then they would put armor in those areas to make sure that the planes came back but there was a Jewish mathematician who came in and said you guys are asking the wrong question You want to put armor where the bullet holes are. But these are the planes that came back. Where you want to armor is the places that the other planes got hit. 
and we can't measure them because they're in the ocean somewhere or in the side of a mountain. They obviously got hit in the vulnerable place. He said, these planes made it back, holes and all. These planes are stronger where they were attacked. And I came to church on Father's Day to tell somebody, so are you. When all you do is focus on the holes, you got to realize that is a sign and a scar of where you were attacked. But pinch yourself. You made it. You're still here. I know the devil thought he would kill you where he hit you, but he didn't kill you. You're here this morning. God is good to you, and you made it. You are strongest where you got attacked. Now, how do I know Joab was a king, a, 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 a true friend to the king? Because Joab was willing to tell David what he needed to hear. Not necessarily what he wanted to hear. If you have somebody in your life that's willing to be honest with you, tell you the truth, love you enough to not sugarcoat everything, if you've got somebody in your life that has the gift of confrontation, they're not afraid to get up in your grill, tell you stuff that's hard for you to take, and nobody else is challenging you with it. You should not get mad at that person. You ought to buy that person Gus's goodies. Because they are a real friend. If you got somebody who keeps texting you because you've been missing church, you shouldn't get mad at them. You should be celebrating them that they care enough about you to tell you where you need to be. So I'm going to end with this uncomfortable conversation Joab has with King David, his friend. Verse 5, And Joab went to the house of the king and said, I know you're mourning your son, but you have humiliated all your men who just saved your life. You see what he, he's saying, you're mourning what you lost, and it's about to cost you what you got left. These men put their life on the line for you, and the lives of your sons and daughters, and the wife, your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you, and hate those who love you. I hate the double-minded. This is the fruit of double-mindedness. You attach yourself to stuff that's trying to destroy you. Can I tell you that I've had to preach this to myself more than one time through the years because as a pastor, it is easy for me to get up on Sunday morning and be mourning people who left me and ignore the blessings that are sitting out in front of me and take it out on you for them walking away. So I'm preaching this to myself this morning. Listen to what he says. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would rather be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. This is double-minded. You hate what's trying to help you, and you love what's trying to kill you. Maybe I'm the only one here this morning, but I feel that way about certain things in my life. I'm going to quit preaching and just start testifying for a minute. Is that all right? Because I do things that are good for me like exercise now 
and I hate most of it. Hear me. I'm going to say right here in front of Cindy. I ain't scared of her. Long as she's out there. Listen, I hate starting exercising. I hate it while I'm doing it. I try to make myself believe I'm enjoying it because I got my Jesus music in my earphones. and I'm, But I ain't enjoying it. I don't like the sweat. I don't like the bottom of my feet aching. I don't like the way it makes my knees feel. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I'm getting hot. I'm going to have to take a shower when I get back. I walked four miles away from the house, which means I got to trek four miles to get back to the house. And then there are things that I love that I have to keep myself from doing, like eating dozens of donuts at a time. Because I love them for a moment, but I don't like the effect that they have on my life. I hate turning down those donuts across the hall every morning. Some of them were my favorite brands. Some of them were my favorite flavors, and I don't even go over there anymore. I hate eating low carb all the time. I went out with Glenn yesterday. He got chicken wings. I got a steak salad. I hate it. I hate not being able to go through McDonald's getting a double quarter pounder with a large fry and then go over to Dairy Island and get me a Sunday. I hate it. But you know what I hate worse than that? Getting winded, walking up them steps, having a hard time bending over to tie my shoe. I hated the fact that every couple of months my clothes was getting too tight and I couldn't get in my pants anymore. I hated the fact that every time I looked in the mirror, I wanted to throw up a little bit in my mouth. I hated that every time I stepped on the scale, it asked for one of us to step off. I hated that. And sometimes, before you can make any lasting changes, you have to be motivated by hate. Y'all not going to help me. See, I told you, hatred has motivated me more than love ever could. I have to hate fighting with my wife before I'll treat her the way she deserves to be treated. I have to hate the residual effects of what goes on, that lingering. You know what I'm talking about. How y'all ain't fighting no more, but it is so tight that even the goldfish has went into the house and the dog has slept under the bed for four days. You know what I'm talking about. Like, y'all not fighting anymore because you don't care enough to fight. But the atmosphere in the house is just tight. You know what I'm talking about. See, you got to hate that enough to change the way you speak to them. I can't just say, well, I, I treat my wife right because I love her because sometimes love can get misaligned. I have to hate fighting enough to love her correctly. And the trouble with this is most of us are like David. And we have a love-hate relationship with stuff that's trying to kill us. I love donuts. I love cake and pies and little Debbie's and chocolate bonbons Sister Alicia's chocolate chip cookies and them stinking cakes that Rhoda makes and I love Buckeyes and big I love them I love them it's not that I don't love the taste I just hate what they do to my waist I hate the double-minded. I love your law. Before I'm going to start doing what I love, I have to start hating the thing that's holding me back. And that's why this is so tough, because I love what it does for me, but I hate what it does to me. Carbs does something for me. 
I have a long-standing relationship with carbohydrates. I'm talking about late at night with a glass of chocolate milk and a big old slab of cake. Pepperoni cheese rolls by the dozens. Go over to Texas Roadhouse. I don't need a steak. No, thank you. Just keep bringing these baskets of rolls. I'll pay you for the rolls. I just want to sit there and eat these rolls. Slather it with that honey butter. I mean, I don't even need that meat in the bag. I love steak, but man, these carbohydrates. And can I wash it down maybe with a piece of that cherry pie from the back? I love carbs. But I hate what they do to my body. And it took me a long time to realize I hate it more than I love the taste of them. I have fought anger issues my whole life. I came from a long line of hateful, mean-spirited Mitchums who would tell you off in a minute. And I have fought anger my whole life. And I have been known, they say, allegedly, to fly off the handle. My wife missed an amen moment right there. I've been known to fly off the handle quickly and unexpectedly. And quite explosively. Hey, hey, most of us dads know what it feels like, right? For you to not be home, and when mom wants something done, she says, wait till your dad gets home. Right, because why? She knows that you're the angry one. She gets to be the sweet one. She gets to be the, she gets to be the one that the kids run and hide and hug on the leg. She likes that feeling when they run and hide and hold on to her leg. She likes that. That's why she uses you as a threat. Because she wants you to be the angry one. But I've, I've wrestled with anger my whole life. And I've had to come to a place in my life where I hate anger. Listen, I have a real complicated relationship with anger. Because I know how to use it. If I get mad enough, I can get folks to do stuff. If I get mad enough, I can get my kids and even church people to do stuff they'll conform they'll move fast but the problem with that is after it's all over nobody wants to be around you so I may be able to use anger for my benefit but I don't like the effects of it if I cling to what's trying to kill me <laughs> so it's about the collateral damage I won't change into my heart until I hate what it does to my marriage, what it does to my relationships, what it disturbs my inner peace and makes me live with regrets. How about complaining? I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm testifying. I love complaining. Y'all are perfect. Pray for Bishop. I love complaining. Oh, I do. It feels good to unburden everything I've been feeling right on you. It feels good. And I know I've been telling you this entire series that the Bible says that we shouldn't complain, but the Bible don't say that it don't feel good. And it does. Except, if you complain enough, people stop asking how are you doing. And instead, when they see you coming, they go the other way. So you have to hate the effects of complaining more than you love the benefit of complaining. Let me, let me give you another example because y'all don't complain. Let me testify about this. I like the way it feels to talk about people. I told you, pray for the bishop. Y'all are perfect, I'm not. I like the way it feels to talk about people. 
It makes me feel better about my dysfunction if I discuss yours a little bit. I feel like it pulls me a little more even with you. When I point out your dumb decisions that you've made, I feel a little bit better about the dumb decisions I made. I justify my stupidity by pointing at yours. And it feels good to talk about people until you come face to face with the person you've been talking about and you realize you can't treat them any better than you've been dogging them. And you got to learn to hate that enough to change the way you talk. I hate being late. Some of you don't, and it shows. I hate being late. We're four songs into the sermon, or the, into the service before some of y'all show up. It shows y'all do not hate being late. And until you hate being late more than you love hitting the snooze, people are always going to assume they can't count on you because you're never on time. You, you can change it. For, you can say, my New Year's resolution is to be on time. And if you change your behaviors, it'll last for a little while. But you've got to change your heart. Did anybody else have parents like mine that if you put something on your plate, they refused to let you leave the table? Some of y'all did? Until you cleaned your plate. So you learned how to put food in like pockets and stuff. Did y'all do that too? Did y'all ever have to do that? I didn't know how nasty some of that stuff could be until it was on my plate. And then I wasn't no way I could choke down more of it. You know your parents didn't know what they were doing, but they came through some tough times. And what they were trying to do was make you hate waste. My mother would collect leftovers all week long. And then on Friday, we had leftover everything from the week. It all made another grand appearance. So there was two pieces of, of meatloaf and some always brown beans and always a couple of leftover slices of cornbread and there'd be one random chicken leg. I don't know how that got in there. There'd be some, some leftover liver. and I mean, a smorgasbord. It looked like the poor man's Ryan Steakhouse in my kitchen because there was a little bit of corn and some nasty leftover mashed potatoes that showed up the first time three days ago and then there was some green beans and there wasn't enough of it for all of us to have any one thing. You just had to take two or three pieces. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Did y'all have leftovers too? Yeah. Because my mom didn't throw nothing out. And she wanted, she wanted to put in your mind the fact that you hate waste. Now, it didn't stick on most of us. Now, every time something breaks, we throw it away. But they came from a generation that fixed things when it broke. That's why most of their marriages survived. You can't tell me they loved each other more than we love each other. You can't tell me they had better relationships than they did. They just came from a generation that when things got bad, you fixed it. You didn't throw it away. And we live in a disposable generation, and we don't hate what it does to the children. Y'all not going to help me. We don't hate what divorce does to the kids. We don't hate what it does to our self-esteem. We don't hate that stuff. And we love how it feels to be free. So we're quick to get divorced because we don't hate the casualties. I've, I've out-preached my welcome. I made y'all mad right there. I apologize. Verse 7 says to Joab, says to David, now go out. And encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left 
with you by nightfall. And here I've preached all morning to say this one statement. This will be worse for you than all the calamities that have come on you from your youth till now. In other words, Joab just told David, if you don't move, you think it's bad now. It's about to get worse. So the king, say the next two words. So the king, say it like you mean it. So the king, he got up. I'm going to give you two very simple principles and I'm going to get out of your life. Change begins and change happens in this verse. Change begins when you get up. Nothing positive is going to happen until you make up your mind to get up. What Joab said to David is the same thing that I want to say to somebody this morning. It is time for you to get up. Hear me, I feel just a little bit prophetic. You can't stay that way anymore. You have wallowed in your past long enough. It is time for you to get up. You still got air in your lungs. There are still battles for you to fight. You are missing your assignment because you have stayed there too long. It is time for you to get in your heart to get up. Throw that scripture back up there if you would for me, Kristen. He told him to get up. And the Bible says he got up, took his seat in the gateway, which was where all this started. When the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they came to him. He got up, he took a seat, he took it, that's a verb, that indicates action. It don't just happen because you love Jesus. It don't just happen because you joined the church or because you got married. Marriage don't just happen because you said, I do. Raising kids don't happen because you brought it home from the hospital. You have to take your seat. And there are some of you that not only do you need to get up, but you need to take your seat because what David did was he sat down and said, you know what? I have been through it, but I'm back. I have been heartbroken, but I'm back. My life is far from perfect, but I'm back. I fell off the wagon, but I'm back. I haven't done all the right things, but I'm back. I stopped serving the Lord, but I'm back. I walked away from church, but I'm back. I haven't given in a long time, but I'm back. I haven't treated my wife right for a long time, but I'm back. I haven't been gone uh, to a nice place. I've been gone to the wrong place, but I'm here to declare this morning, I brought my seat, and I want the devil to know you thought you stole it, you thought you snatched it, but I'm back, and I'm here to represent my life.
Look at the neighbor and say, I'm back. Yeah, I'm back. Stand with me all over this building. I'm back. Get up. Take your seat. I can preach until my blood pressure is 1,000 over 500. I think I do that sometimes. My eyeballs can bulge out of my head. My juggler vein can hang over my lapel on my shirt. And it will do absolutely nothing for you until you set your heart to get up and take your seat. All the preaching in the world won't get you into heaven. All the preaching in the world will not make you father of the year. All the good preaching and gospel songs in the world will not make you have a successful marriage, give you lifelong prosperity. You can't lose weight because you watched the Richard Simmons video. All the things that we try to condition ourselves to do is usually the wrong thing. We're trying to change the condition, but we have never gotten up and took our seat. We wonder why change don't last. You have to fix your heart. I align my heart. I adjust my heart on what I love because I hate Egypt so badly I can never go back going through the Red Sea is hard having to trust God for manna is faithful watching my sons and daughters die in the wilderness is difficult but what's my alternative going back to Egypt no I hated Egypt when I was back there, I, hate, I hated Pharaoh. I hated my taskmasters. I hated gathering hay. I hated making bricks. Why would I go back to what I hate? Just because what I love is difficult to do. Get up and take. You want a better marriage? Get up and take one. You want a better relationship with your kids? Father, I'm talking to you. Dad, I'm talking to you today. You want a better relationship? Stop blaming them. Get up and take one. Now, it, 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 you can't make everything work. I mean, if, if they're not willing to work with you, then that's on them. But at least you'll have peace in your spirit. At least you'll have peace in your heart. The Bible says as much as it, can, it depends on you, live peaceably with everybody. But enough of blaming everybody else. Enough of you blaming wife and wife, you blaming hubby. You want a better marriage? Get up and take one. You, you want, a, you want a, a better faith life? Stop waiting on the preacher to lay hands on you. Get up and take one. Devote yourself to reading your word. Devote yourself to, to spending knee time. Turn off the television. For God's sake, get off Facebook. Get on your face before the Lord. And I promise you, God will, will reward faithfulness. Spend time in His presence. Spend time in His word. Turn off Fox News. Turn off CNN. They're going to make you angry. God's Word is going to be a delight to you. Get up and take your seat. We have far too many Christians that are living way below their spiritual means because we've not fixed our hearts on His law.
But rather we are trying, like David, we're trying to bring back the thing that's trying to kill us and hate the thing that's trying to help us. I want you to stretch your hands toward heaven this morning if you are physically able to and are so inclined. And Holy Ghost, I'm asking you to do a work in the lives and the hearts and the minds of every person in this room that desires a closer walk with you. God, every person in this room that needs a touch in their mind, a touch in their emotions, a touch in their relationship, a touch in their physical body, I'm praying right now for your Holy Spirit to do the work. I'm praying right now for the Holy Spirit to have you to, 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 to move in this place and massage every sore spiritual muscle that these people have been operating under because somebody is getting ready to get up and come take a seat. And God, as they do that, as they do that, I'm praying that you will please manifest yourself in their lives, that their heart is going to be fixed and set, and that as they come forward this morning, God, that their lives is going to be forever changed because they are making up their mind and they are fixing their hearts. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. I know it's Father's Day and you need to go feed Daddy. But I'm going to ask you to do something radical and crazy and it's not going to make no sense. But sometimes you've got to take a step of faith and do something in the flesh for a spiritual transformation to take place. Uh, Brother Scott, you mind grabbing this and setting it right down there on that floor? And uh, I don't have an usher up here. I thought I usually have ushers up here in the front. Um, Brother Paul, would you grab a chair off the end and set it right here if you would for me? I'm going to ask you to do something crazy and radical, okay, guys? Before you take a step, before you get up, you need to have in your mind, God, if you give me the strength to do this, I'm ready for a change. I'm ready for my temper to change. I'm ready for my personality to change. I'm ready for my marriage to change. Whatever it is, I'm ready for a change. If you set your heart, if you fix it, if you adjust it on God, I want you to step out of your seat. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to spend time lingering and falling out in the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues and all that. You just need to do one simple thing. I want you to get up, and I want you to take that seat. Then I want you to get up and let somebody else take it because every person that's fixing their heart, I'm, I've already bathed this thing in prayer for a month, asking God to change something in your life. And when you came up here and took this seat, that there's going to be a spiritual infusion of power to accomplish what you're asking the Holy Ghost to do. So I know it's crazy. I know it's right. I know it don't make no sense. And of course, God can change you right where you're at. Absolutely. You don't have to do this. But for me, I always like a point of contact to solidify, God, I heard you. And I'm walking forward. And I'm going to take my seat. I'm going to take it. The devil thought he stole it, but it's mine. And he can't have it. And two sisters already come. I'm going to shut up and get out of your way on this Father's Day because you need to go feed your fathers. But every person that needs to, I want you to just fill the aisles and I want you to just come. And as they get up, you sit down and then you get up and somebody else is going to take their seat. And in the name of Jesus, bondages are going to be broken. Marriages are going to be healed. Minds are going to be delivered. Personalities are going to be infused with the Holy Ghost. And we're going to see a better tomorrow because we're taking our seat. God bless you on this Father's Day. The world that could have failed me, man's empty praise, the treasures of faith are never enough. Oh, then you came along.
Turn me back together. 